going on, everyone? And welcome to the Toronto Raptors TOT Cast, brought to you by TipTheTower.com. I'm Chris Lopranitz, and joining me as always is Jamar Grant. On today's podcast, we're going to go through a variety of topics, including the Raptors signing last week of Gerard Utah from Iowa, Jay Crowder's ridiculous comments about how the Raptors are pretty much irrelevant, Damari Carroll, when I spoke to him at his little media scrum, he had Damari Carroll camp last week, Demar DeRozan, USA Basketball, and anything else that crosses our mind. Demar, how you doing, man? How's things going? Doing great. Excited to finally <clears throat> to finally talk about uh, new prospect Jared Utah. He's kind of interesting. I mean, he's signed a two-year non-guaranteed deal with the Raptors to be pretty much their well, not necessarily their 16th or 17th man because I would put him at the Raptors 905, but. More so to enter camp and compete for that 15th roster spot with guys like Fred Van Fleet. What do you think his chances are of actually winning that last roster, last roster spot with the Raptors? I think it's really good, actually, because the Raptors need to back up power forward. And people keep trying to sell me on the Jared Sullinger at power forward, and I will not buy it. Hold on. <laughs> you won't buy it? What do you mean you won't buy it? Because you think he's not going to make the roster? Or what's the deal with that there? Uh, I think he'll make the roster. I just don't. I just don't think he's a power forward at this point. Like, the amount of weight he needs to lose will not. It's either he's coming into the, the camp like Skinny Lowry, you know. I, I haven't seen any pictures of Jared Sillinger in the past couple months, so I'm gonna start looking. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Where does he fit then, though? I don't think he's like. I don't think he's going to be like making making significant contributions to the roster at this point. Wow, that's bold. I think that'll be a board bet worthy once uh, the season draws near, but he's, hold on, so you're thinking basically he's going to fit behind Jonas Valanciunas at center there? I don't think he's going to get a, a lot of time to play, bro. I honestly, Damn. yeah. I just, you're more or less saying he's going to be out of the league after this season then. He doesn't lose the weight. He's going to be out of the league then. I, I think he'll definitely lose the weight. I think you're kind of underestimating him a bit. This is a guy that was an All-American in college. He, coming out of like, entering college in high school, he was all American in the state of Ohio. He's always been a very, very good player with a lot of talent, and all of a sudden this weight came on. But I feel like he could, if there's something that he can control, it's his physical appearance, right? And weight is something that he can easily shed. It's not a question about skill. So I think once he drops the weight, the rest will follow. But it sounds like you really don't believe in him dropping the weight. The whole the whole reason why he is even like let like let go from the Celtics is because he refused. It's not even a refusal. It's like an inability inability to lose that weight, and they wanted him on the team. But ever since you know since he can't lose it, you know that's why he's not on the team anymore. So now that the Raptors have him, they're like he's gonna lose the weight. You know, skinny Lowry will begat a skinny Sullinger, but I'm not. I'm just not sold. I don't know. I have to see it. I have to see it to believe it. That's fair. I'll uh, I'll agree to disagree with you on that one. I do I do think he'll put it all together. I don't think he's gonna have the season that summer hoping he will. I think he'll be okay, but not great. Like I'm not expecting some Bismack Biombo type Renaissance season here, but I think he'll definitely contribute. Before we fall too far off into Jared Sullinger talk, though, let's backtrack here to Gerard Utah, the Raptors, I guess, 16th man per se. Um, how do you see him fitting in with his team and what he brings? I think he's kind of Kind of a D and three player, best case scenario. Although I don't see the D part, I see the three part, but not the D part. How do you see him fitting in? I think he's probably going to be battling Jared Sollinger for that power forward spot. If you really want to, you know, if you're really high on Jared Sollinger, I think it's still going to be a battle just because of uh, Utah's ability to score. 
you know, maybe his ability to defend, you know, for some reason he just refuses to get into a defensive stance. <laughs> but I don't know. If you watch a lot of his games at Iowa, he's not the greatest on-ball defender, but he's actually a very intelligent help side defender. Like when you watch him come around and kind of trap players in opportune, like very opportune situations where it's just, it doesn't necessarily lead to a turnover, but it leads to a prolonged shot clock or a more difficult shot. He's smart in that sense, but he's just not very good on ball. And I don't know how well that'll translate in the NBA game. Yeah, that does. I mean, it's mostly the stance because he's never, you know, you're supposed to like sit down in a stance, right, to keep your feet agile. And his feet, he looks flat footed. Yeah, he's just yeah. That's exactly what I was gonna say is that he looks flat footed, and it's not even just on defense, even on offense. Sometimes he looks flat footed. He doesn't really have any sort of like quick first step. You know, it's an exaggeration, but somebody like you know John Wall is like the first step is everything to their game. That's like it contributes, it contributes like nothing to his game. His first step's ridiculous, yeah. though. I guess then we kind of agree that he's very most a useful bench piece. Yeah. Like he's a bench player at best that can shoot the three and play some subpar defense. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting him like in the first few games of the season. You know, like your coach tries to juggle rotations and see what works. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the court. You know, in in backup. Backup spot, not necessarily starting. That'd be crazy. Yeah, no, I think that'd be a little much to ask for him. One thing I found interesting with him watching him play in the Big Ten at Iowa, and then looking back on it now, is that he led the Big Ten in blocks last year with two point seven a game. Mm-hmm. He's six ten, but he's real thin. I know he's got a thirty four and a half inch vertical, but he doesn't strike me as a shot blocker when you see him. I mean, he looks like a poor man's Doug McDermott. Yeah, he look. I, yeah, he looks like that, but it's not. You know, Doug McDermott's also athletic. So, oh, Doug McDermott filled the cup up like nobody else in college. It was ridiculous how good he was. I mean, dare I say it? I know Adam Morrison was a bust, but for those that remember Adam Morrison in college, <laughs> that guy could score at will. And Doug McDermott was similar in that sense. And at times, Gerard Utah in Iowa. I mean, the way he was scoring, it was nuts. Yeah, he was just he was their best player at all times. You know, it's, it, the nexus of his scoring is the jump shot. You know, so like. Even in the post, like he'll just shoot, turn around, fade away, like turn around Jays. He has a lot of like spot ups. So I, you know, I like it. It, it. it works well with the rest of the team. I'm just, I don't know, the defensive, the defensive liability. Even though that he gets a lot of blocks, it doesn't seem like uh, his one on one defense is necessarily there. It's great, great team defender though. You need a good, te- you need good team defenders to have a cohesive defense. So there's that at least. <laughs> So I guess hmm, he's kind of destined for the 905 then just because of his defensive approach. I don't know about destined for the 905. I think he'll make an appearance. But again, the power forward spot is like, that's the biggest hole for the Raptors, starting and bench roll. So he could be making an appearance, man. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's between him and Jared Sollinger. It's going to be a fight for minutes, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. It's best, you know, you know when a, two rival companies are uh, selling this like a similar product. They're trying to make it cheaper or better than the other company, and it benefits the consumer. I feel like we're going to see that with the Raptors, these two players. That would make sense, especially when you look at what the rest of the league is trying to do now. I know everybody wants shooters, and everybody, the, all the rage is small ball, right? But when you look at the teams that do most successfully, they're not necessarily small ball teams in the sense where the players are small. These are guys with freakish athletics, Freak length, like they're just they're they're players you get out of a lab, and people like to point to the Warriors as the small ball you know blueprint. But when you look at like what they do really really well, 
it's all spacing, and a lot of the guys they have are really long, and they can just do a variety of things well. And I, I see the Raptors kind of trying to go that route by adding players that are A, long, B, can shoot, and C, are a bit versatile, where they're, they're smart, but they're also versatile enough to play different positions on the court. So I think the Raptors are slowly going to try and put a, an emphasis on spacing. I know that's like... It feels weird saying that because they're such an ISO team, but I feel like they're slowly going to try and add more spacing elements to their offense this year. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's the key to winning at this point right now. They don't have like, well, we, they don't have a like, dominant. You know, if you don't have spacing, you could just have like a dominant big man, right? And then he'll like he'll scr- uh, shrink the floor for everybody else, so it's easier for everybody else to shoot. But it's, since they don't have that, gotta go for the spacing option, man. See, I think that's what's so maddening for us to talk about is because during the playoffs when we'd watch them play, we would bark and yell at the television about seeing these things at the games, and we'd just be like, man, space the damn floor and stop trying to play ISO because this roster is constructed in a manner that it favors that, right? Like, I know the ISO ball is there with DeRozan and Lowry, but when that ball whips around the court and they get spacing, they get better looks. And now I know guys like Patterson and Carroll were not making those threes in the postseason, but it's not going to be like that over an 82-game season. It's just the law of averages will kick in and these shots are going to fall. And I just think the Raptors are going to be better off by playing that style of basketball. Yeah. Well, they're going to need their, uh, their superstar <laughs> DeMar DeRozan to actually pass the ball in, uh, wouldn't even have to be in isolation situations. You'd have to be able to like share the ball in a system, which they don't have at this point. Yeah. That system part is, <laughs> they need to, I don't. I don't know what to call their offense, man. I watch watching it all season. I'm just kind of like, what is it? it kind of reminds me of a, a '90s offense where, like, you're searching for the. You know, the Cavs did this in the finals too, where you're searching for a mismatch, right? And then you exploit the mismatch to generate points. It's like a really, really, really old school way of generating points because now everybody's just like, we're trying to maximize the amount of space you can get so you can have an open shot. Now the Raptors are playing the, the super old style, where it's like. I can just get a sliver of daylight where I can uh, overpower you in some sort of way. Not necessarily overpower, but like, uh, you know, give myself a better opportunity than than average. And they'll play that sort of style. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of ugly to watch, and that's why in the playoffs it's kind of ugly to watch <laughs> because it's really slow and isocentric. But it seems like that's the way they uh, want to play. Even though that they have um, pieces that would do better in a newer uh, system. Is DeMar DeRozan not the prototypical 90s player, though? At the moment, yeah, he, at least, yeah. like what we've seen from him so far, like he is your prototypical 90s player. Yeah, we, He dribbles, he's a slasher, he drives to the rim, his jump shot, and, you know, his jump shot's okay, but when you stretch it past 20 feet to the three-point line, it gets questionable. Like, that's just a 90s player in a nutshell. Yeah, and, you know, if he's going to get better as a player, he's going to, like, I know this is like beating a dead horse at this point, but like to get better as a player, he's either going to have to do two, one of two things. Distribute the ball, and he doesn't even have to do it at a very high rate. He has to just do it enough so that the defense doesn't just crowd him whenever he drives to the paint, or shoot the three. And he doesn't have to shoot the three like Steph Curry. He needs to shoot the three like Jimmy Butler, where it's like two or three times a game. Just be effective. Yeah, it is like hopefully he's doing that during this offseason. You know, just training to shoot the three-point shot because that is like the next evolution in his game, and he can't just live in the paint all the time. Because you're not gonna, no. you're not necessarily, you're necessarily not gonna get all the whistles in the postseason. Not a chance. No matter how big of a superstar you are, 
We'll get into that a little bit later on the show because Damari Carroll had some interesting interesting things to say about Demar Derozan when I uh, asked him about him at his camp there. Um, we'll get into that part. But somebody else who had some interesting things to say was Jay Crowder of the Boston Celtics, who threw some serious shade at the Raptors last week when he said Toronto is not a team the Celtics are worried about, and quite frankly said the Eastern <laughs> Conference as a whole isn't really worried about. Yeah, it's laugh worthy. It's really <laughs> laugh worthy. I'm sure Brad Stevens was thrilled to hear young Buck Jay Crowder come out there and, you know, throw some great July headlines for everybody. You know what? He needs something to talk about. It's vacation time. You know, why not just try to sweep my Eastern Conference arrivals underneath the rug, even though Raptors have gotten far farther than the Celtics have in, like, the past five years. So, you know, <laughs> it's just laughable because Jay, Jay Crowder does, like, feels like, He's like a like a kid brother, you know, just trying to talk, trying to talk smack to his his older brother. Be like, yo, man, I'm out here. I'm on the come up. I'm on the come up. That's all I picture from this guy. Exactly. He's a young hoodlum at the YMCA where you're playing pickup and you're going, man, like, you know, junior ball was from three to five, right? Yeah, exactly. Ooh, you know, the, the Celtics <laughs> are probably going to be really good this season, especially with the addition of Al Horford. But yep, they'll be much better. Just to discount the Raptors. I mean, that's uh, ill-advised. Yeah, I mean, he's basically not accounting for the fact that Damari Carroll and Jonas Valanciunas missed some time last year. So for as much as the Raptors overachieved, and whether we like to admit it or not, they most definitely overachieved last year with their 56 wins. That's without Damari Carroll and Jonas Valanciunas for a large portion of it. So no reason to think they couldn't win 50 games again, the Raptors. Yeah, I don't know, man. The Boston Celtics and Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is so good, but he's not an amazing player. I feel like... He has one of those he's become one of those irrational confidence guys, which comes with being a good but not great player. So you just need to comes with being young <laughs> and being young, you know. So it's just like I'm the best, and these guys aren't even. Why are you even talking about these people? Why aren't you talking? Yeah, like I don't mind his confidence. I, it's just when you say things like that, that's just stupidity. Yeah. I know it's July and all that, but dude, stay out of the headlines. If if you're on the opposing team like that and you haven't won the division yet. It's just it just creates bad pub, bad PR for yourself. Yeah. Do you th- how close do you think the Raptors and Celtics are though? I I think they're closer than most people would like to think. Just because me too. Just because um people don't really get to see Al Horford play very frequently because he's on the Hawks and the Hawks have like two national games per season. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I just don't think they realize how good he is. But now that they have him, they have Isaiah Thomas that somehow is just like this amazing player to get to the rim. That pick-and-roll situation is going to be lethal. Right, so those dishes to uh, Al Horford at the elbow or from the three-point like wing. Or dive into the cup. Yeah, it's going to be great, man. I just, yeah, people just don't realize how good Al Horford is. Just like how they... No, I... Oh, man. I think he's the best two-way pick-and-roll defender and offensive player in the league in PNR situations. Probably him or DeAndre Jordan just because you can throw him those gorgeous alley-oops. Those lobs are fantastic. <laughs> right? But, uh, yeah, they, I just don't think they realize how good he is. He plays in Atlanta, and plus Paul Millsap kind of overshadowed him while they were in Atlanta. So we'll see. But I actually think that they're very good. This would be like a good 2-3 battle going into the mid, probably late part of the season, barring injury, of course. Yeah, I think both teams are most certainly still chasing Cleveland, but... That battle for not only the Atlantic Division, but that 2-3 spot will be pretty compelling to watch throughout the season. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too, man. I'm I'm happy for a little bit of rivalry. You don't really get that much in the NBA anymore. So 
is are we like officially calling this a rivalry? Not, are we projecting? It's not a rivalry, but it's getting chippy. Just say that. I think it's going to be a rivalry. I think, if, I think we're on the verge of it. I think if there's a hard foul in that first game that they play against somebody, and then somebody bumps somebody, and then there's a lot of yelling, I think it could develop into a rivalry. Just like these few words that uh, Jay Crowder just said, it's just like it's going to spark interest. Right, exactly. There's there's a little bit of smoke. There's a little bit of. <laughs> well, to, to add to that, if you want to like take like a wrestling approach here. The Boston Celtics do have a potential heel, Amir Johnson. He's one of the most beloved Raptors. What if he just goes heel all of a sudden and, you know, kind of backs up his teammates in Boston? Doesn't need to necessarily throw shade at Toronto, but what if he just kind of took the Celtics side a bit more instead of being a Switzerland neutral party here? I, I don't know, man. The, the Raptors, I could, I could absolutely see that. But the Raptors fan base loves Amir Johnson so much. They love him. That's why I think it'd be even more compelling if he kind of, you know, took the side of Jay Crowder or Boston a bit more. Because let's yeah, face yeah. it, this Raptors Toronto sports fans as a whole are cynical at times, very cynical. So it just it would, the, the betrayal feeling, like you just said, would be, I don't know. Let me tell you something. Real GM forums and the Reddit forums for Raptors fans would be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. See. Yeah. I think we're on the on the verge of a rivalry. This is that first game, man. I'm telling you, if somebody bumps somebody or hard fouls somebody, and then you see like people running it into the crowd or not into the crowd, like in like so the mouse at the palace. No, no, no. It's like if they coalesce into a crowd, you know how people are like bumping chest, pointing fingers at each other. Yeah, yeah, the mellow punch and run type stuff. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, that's a way. Something, but something like that happens, I can absolutely see this turning into a rivalry. It'll be very. Very great to watch because those are Toronto and uh, Boston have really, really good fan bases. And they can get very hostile very quickly. I think we're heading down that path. And I, I really, if I don't want to think we are, I just want to see it happen. Like, that would be something that I think would only enhance the Raptors season. Yeah, Toronto rivalry hasn't been uh, fiery in a long time now. No. At least, like, the Bruins and the Leafs, too, there's history there from the hockey front where they don't like each other, so... Maybe the fan bases, at least some of the casual fans, will blindly follow the rivalry too with the Raptors and Celtics. I didn't even consider that, and that makes it even more intriguing. Something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into what Damari Carroll said now. Um, I had the chance to go to his camp last Friday and kind of take in the sights and sounds of what he's doing. Some of the little campers there, the kids that he had, were savages, to say the least. They were calling for... Damari Carroll to dunk on kids and expose them, as they said. There was literally a chance of expose him and dunk on him when he was playing one-on-one with some of the little kids. Keep in mind, these kids are anywhere from 5 to 13 years old, and they're calling for Damari to absolutely crown them. So (laughs) that was fun to watch. And speaking with him after, he had some really interesting things to say about Damar DeRozan. His development is not only a player, but as a leader within the Raptors clubhouse. Take a listen to what he had to say here. At Summer League, when you were with Atlanta, you said you went there to kind of develop a voice and become the leader of the team. Is there anybody here in Toronto that's taken that role with you, or is it still just yourself being the leader? No, I talked to uh, DeMar. Man, DeMar talks a lot. I uh, text with Kyle. Um, but, you know, DeMar, he, I could see in his eyes that he really wants to, you know, be one of those top leader guys, and he understands that he got to lead by example. And uh, like I always, I told him when I first got here, I said, DeMar, at the end of the day, you know, you can always get your money. But, you know, people only remember you if you win. And um, he took on that role. He understood that winning was a big part. And I feel like that's why he came back. He didn't even take a meeting because he understands that 
winning solves everything. And people only remember if you win. They don't remember you how much money you make. What kind of habits have changed for him? A lot of habits. Yeah, he, uh, DeMar usually don't talk. He usually be in his little shell, but now he's very, his voice is heard. Uh, he went out to Vegas. He saw a couple of games. He met with some of the rookies. And, uh, you know, he's in talking to Masai and them trying to, see who they're going to pick up or trade. So he's doing a lot of things that you would want from your superstar on the team. So pretty interesting things by Damari Carroll there on DeMar DeRozan. Uh, also on an aside, July 27th, Damari Carroll's birthday. Happy birthday, Damari. Roll Tide Roll, since I know you're a Bama fan, as you said. The confetti. But, yeah, drop the confetti, everything. Uh, the swag daddy, as they were calling him on Instagram after his little suit came out there. Enjoy your birthday, partner. Demar, thoughts on what he had to say about you know your other favorite Demar, Demar Derozan? I'm happy that he talked about Demar Derozan coming out of his shell because usually, you know, when a player's in their shell, they tend to like uh, just like think about themselves and like what they can be doing to make the team better. So they don't really talk about making the team better by like um, proliferating some sort of message. They never like say it's like we need to be doing this or anything like that. He's always is like okay, I need to be doing this so we get better. So just like having that that influence over the rest of the team, I just I'm happy to hear that the person that's getting paid the big bucks is actually willing to to take on the role of somebody that gets paid that much money. Yeah, I thought that part was pretty interesting because I didn't expect Demar Derozan to be somebody that's vocal in the sense of where. You know, you see him play a lot of times on the court, and he just seems like a very quiet, reserved guy to build on what you were saying about him, you know, kind of thinking about, okay, the team will get better if I do this. But now he's not only thinking about how the team will get better if he does it, but he's thinking about how he can make the team better by making others around him better. Right. And that, that's it's something that DeMar DeRozan, I think, has finally taken that step forward. And it's not so much that the money has changed him. I think it's more that his age and having guys like Tamari Carroll around to kind of tell him, hey, you can't just play good ball yourself and expect everybody else to get better. You got to help these guys get better and show them how to be better. I think that's finally starting to wear off on them, and hopefully, it will pay major dividends this year. The money is, even though it's it's not a hundred percent like affecting him, it's not zero percent. I think just like getting paid the most amount of money on the team is having this like effect where he's probably going to get scrutinized more than he's ever been in his entire life. Uh, for sure about the way he plays and like how effective he is. So just, well, for what it's worth, I mean, he did sign the third largest contract in the NBA history. NBA history at the moment. Like that's that's a big deal. And for a guy that has loyalty tattooed on his arm, you better believe that there's pride somewhere there too. So I don't think he's just gonna want to you know take a Pablo Sandoval like he did with the Boston Red Sox and just take the money and run. Demar Derozan doesn't strike me as that kind of person, and he doesn't doesn't strike anybody as that. To be quite honest, I think he's gonna. Not necessarily play the chip on his shoulder, but it's giving the back of his mind that he needs to be a superstar. Yeah, and superstars need to uh, develop every year. So if he wants to be a superstar, and I'm excited about him wanting to be a superstar because, you know, his finishing at the rim is great. That three-point shot, if it just comes around, baby, it just comes around. I think it's coming because I don't know how much you've watched of the USA basketball, like, practices and scrimmages. I know we're not privy to all, like, the video from it, but we get, like, you know, Instagram posts, Twitter things, things on NBA Game Pass, NBA TV, anywhere us hoop junkies can search and find it. I know there's nobody on them, there's no defenders, but it's that, that shot is looking a lot better from three-point range. And in the games, both have been against China. Granted, not the greatest opponents. 
but he's just looking better. I know it's not much to go off of, but it's just he's looking better. Maybe I'm too optimistic. I like to be cautiously optimistic, other than with Norman Powell, where I'm overzealously optimistic. But uh... you bought all the stock already. I can't even buy any. <laughs> I I love Norman Powell. I'm trying to buy stock, but what I bought last year, I want to double down on. You bought all, all of it already. I have yeah, you every have single bit of it. <laughs> but yeah, his uh, development as a leader is is great, and it's you know becoming uh, a factor or. Coming something that I was thinking about is like whether or not it's his team or Kyle Lowry's team. Not so much as like a Shaq and Kobe thing, but more of like a James Harden and Dwight Howard thing, where there's like two voices. Which voice do you want to be? I think it's going to start to be Demar. Don't you think? Because he's here long term. He has the big contract. Lowry, I love him to death. He's a bulldog, but he's got one year left on his deal. And how long of a term can you really offer him at 31, 32 years old? Three, four years, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Oh, four years old. I know, I know. Four years is a stretch. Like maybe three and an option, but you get where I'm coming at here, where they can't necessarily depend on him to be the long-term leader. That's DeRozan now. Okay, I'm excited, man. Just, I just want to see it, man. I'm, you know, we share a namesake, so <laughs> I, I just want him to see him do well. You know, just another Demar out there trying to do his thing. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to see him succeed, dude. I'd never want to see somebody like poorly and especially with somebody that's you know like basically putting on for Toronto would love to see him do well and just develop into this superstar player or just like a prolific leader where people like actually listen to him and he's like he becomes one of those old heads you know it'd be pretty pretty awesome to see it would be and something I found interesting too that's kind of like reading between the lines of what Demar Carroll said is when he goes you know you can make money Wherever, like you can just take the money basically and not be remembered, but winning and everything else that comes with it is what gets you remembered. And I feel like that whole being remembered, loyalty, pride, all these intangibles that you talk about that kind of sound cliche at times, they really matter to DeMar DeRozan. And aside from him improving his three-point shot, I think we might see an uptick in his defensive ability this year where those intangibles we just talked about, pride, all that stuff is about to kick in and he's going to elevate himself defensively. It may not be to the level of, you know, like a Clay Thompson, but I feel like he can be more than serviceable now. You know, his favorite, he's from Compton. His favorite player is Kobe Bryant. His play style is like basically a Xerox of Kobe Bryant's play style. Yep. The loyalty, the pride, like a lot of Kobe Bryant words, man. I'm just saying, if he wants to become a superstar, the pathway is there for him. It is. And with that, though, comes defense. Like, Kobe may not have been the best defender, but in big moments and in times where you needed him in the fourth quarter, he could play defense. I just need him to get into stance one time. If he could. That's just effort. (laughs) That's just effort, right? That's really just effort. Yeah, if he could get into a stance, maybe, like, spend a couple days. You know, he's on this USA team, right? And I, I wrote about this, like, it was just like a brief piece, but, like, he's on the USA team where, you know, Andre Jordan and then like Raymond Green, Paul George, all these like def- like defensive <coughs> stalwarts are all on the team. Just learn some things, man. Just like chill out, hang out with those guys. Like if you're really dedicating to getting better, you should be like trying to get as much knowledge and information from these guys. So just like spend time with Draymond Green, you know, ask about like the geometry of the floor on the defensive end, especially like somebody like uh, Paul George, who's a wing player as well. 
that you should be like sleuthing knowledge from him and it's so it's so important to like talk to your peers and get information from them that's why your uh, teacher in elementary school tells you to ask your your friends first for answers before they ask the teacher totally agree and if you're going to go on that whole he should ask his friends first what do you think is a, a worse uh, I don't want to say the word worse but what do you think is a weaker part of his game right now defensively his on-ball defense or when he gets caught in pick-and-roll situations and teams basically get him caught in the switch and pick on him? Like, do you think he's he's worse in PNR situations defending the ball or just strictly on-ball? It's his, uh, it's his uh, you know, getting over the screen is, like, such a huge difficulty for him, and I don't really get why because he's not really a large body. He's pretty slim. He's pretty, and he's so athletic, he's too. He's so athletic, too, so it doesn't make any sense. So I think it's just, like, a technique type of thing, which, again, you'd be able to talk to, like, Paul George, who is... Basically, this I wouldn't say same body type because Paul George is longer than him, but they're just they're slender. Yeah, like slender. It's so easy to get around the screen when you're when you're skinny, you know. When you're not, <laughs> it is though. It really, truly is. Somebody like LeBron James, it's such a you know you have to like actually move your entire body around the other person when you're or run through the or guy. run through the person when you're slim. You can kind of just like slither your arms and arm around him, like kind of like. Uh, like a figure skater and skate by them. So I don't know. I don't know why that doesn't work for him. So he needs to get that. He needs to get that changed big time. That's the biggest weakness for him. Really, it's just like screens, navigating screens and off ball. Ah oh, man, you know. Hopefully he can he can get this down because that is like that would be a, another huge step for him. Be huge because off ball defense. It's boring to talk about. At times, it's also boring to watch. But it's crucial, man. You win or lose games like that. Yeah, all those backdoor. That's why the Warriors like get all these points off backdoor cuts. Cause, like, not everybody. Oh, they crush teams. Not everybody's uh, off-ball defense is very good. Just because you know, it's hard to focus on something like that. It's so e- it's so easy to um, you know, when your man doesn't have the ball, you kind of just like relax. It's like, okay, I did my job, right? But you know, it's a five-on-five game, so that guy can still run around and catch the ball. And, layups or like shoot a three or something like that so yeah you get lost in the shuffle too i mean when you're defending them especially when like there's an off ball screen set on you and he kind of runs a nice little underneath there and it's just like oh shit there's a lot of times that's my man (laughs) there are definitely times where i'll just see uh damar like this man dishes off the ball and you know they're like team like team flattens out for an isolation and he's like caught behind a big man because he's just not paying attention he's ball watching oh he looks disinterested yeah like ball watching so like if he can you know stay engaged in in those off ball settings move around screens better i think he just is doing those two things i think he'd be a much better defender and it would make him like a much more valuable player yeah i think that's the next part right like aside from the three ball like defense is the next part yeah it's, you know, I, like I said, is like his pathway to becoming a great player isn't that difficult. You know? It's all right in front of him. Got to shoot the three, play some defense. Sounds easy, right? Sounds easy, but it's hard to do. It does. I mean, especially when you consider how much of a hot commodity is in the NBA right now, it's kind of became the uh, the fad almost. Yeah, he's actually at this point, he's pretty much missing everything that makes today's NBA. That's why we call him a '90s player because he has everything else. You know, he just has like this to the rim type of game, mid-range, but if he could just add on everything else, like he actually could be a superstar player. Basically, it'd be the 90s meeting the 2000s. Yeah, that'd be great. Which would make him a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I'm... To finish up on DeMar, though, did you see that dunk 
in the Chinese game that he almost landed a 360 dunk basically on the guy, like the Vince Carter-esque? I would have, uh, I probably would have catapulted his season, you know, because that would be like a highlight everybody would show before him, before the season started and be like, look at DeMar DeRozan, this is what he's out here doing, man. This season's going to be crazy. It literally would have been like when Vince Carter dunked on the French guy. And I say the French guy because I really don't remember his name. All I picture is Vince Carter. I think it was, his name was David Weiss, where he jumped. Yeah, around. that works. That works for me. Right, and it just—it actually ended that that guy's career. He didn't really play. That's, that's oh, he—he he eviscerated him. That was even close. It's just like, dude, your career is pretty much done now. You're a poster. Yeah, I mean, that's forever became a defining part of his career. So it's funny because like that's a defining part of his career, and you look at guys like Jason Terry who got man. One of the dunks for the ages by LeBron in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then you look at a guy like Brandon Knight, who also got absolutely destroyed by DeAndre Jordan. Their careers kept going on. I know they're obviously NBA players, and their guy's a French like international player. But at the same time, those are like afterthoughts in your mind, whereas I'll vividly remember Vince Carr dunking on that guy. His name is Frederick Weiss, by the way, not David Weiss, but yeah. I don't know. I just find it funny sometimes how players get dunked on, and some you remember more than others. Although one could say the DeAndre Jordan dunk on Brandon Knight and even the LeBron dunk on Jason Terry was just way more vile than Vince Carter's dunk on the French guy. Yeah, the dunks, man, especially for the Brandon Knight and DeAndre Jordan dunk is just like, it becomes a moment in NBA history, you know, like everybody remembers it. And I don't even know if it's more of, I don't know if it's a more visceral dunk, but it's just, that is kind of what defines, uh, DeAndre Jordan's career at this point. Like, that's who he is as an offensive player. Yeah, he's just crowning. He just dunks on guys and Yeah, he just, kids. like, dunks, dunks on people. He jumps really high. He's 6'11". That's who he is. He also shoots air balls at Olympic qualifiers. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully he can, uh, hopefully, hopefully he turns to the granny shot, man. I actually want people to start shooting the granny now. I would love to see that. And for anybody out there that needs to listen to something to kind of sell you on it, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history about Will Chamberlain and the usage of like the granny shot and all these other things, fantastic. Yeah, you you have to shoot. The granny isn't just like an underhand. It's actually like an overhand, double palm overhand flick type of motion. Well, there's an art to it, right? Like Brent Berry went on about that. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So I want the underhand to or not the underhand the granny shot to come back, especially for to save people like DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond, who are like terrible free throw shooters. Even Dwight Howard. I mean, if it's an extra six to eight points a night for you getting hacked, why not take that? Definitely worth it. It's just more money for these guys, right? <laughs> Truthfully, they like, need more. You're money. gonna go from, uh, probably not, <laughs> but <laughs> they're gonna go from being like ninety percent of the max to the full max. Yeah. Big men are so valuable now that can be that athletic and, you know, not only score at the rim but hit free throws. That's almost unheard of nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unless your name's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis and, like, uh... Boogie. Boogie at times, too. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I'd really have to sit there and think about it. Like, I can think of big guys that can shoot free throws, but not big guys that are superstars that can dominate a game and hit free throws. Not even Shaq. Or, no. or Will Chamberlain. Man, think about if Shaq could have shot like the granny style free throw and improved his game that much more. How scary is that to think that Shaq could have actually improved? Nobody could stop Nobody him. Nobody could stop him, and that was like his fatal flaw as a player. So. Yeah, because he almost had 40-20 in the finals. 
<laughs> how dedicated are you to winning? That's uh, that is really it because like people are afraid of being made fun of by their peers or like in the media or something for doing that. Yeah. Like how much do you like? Everybody wants to win, but people want to win on their terms, right? So of course. How dedicated are you to winning? Really? Like, do you are you willing to do everything possible to make it? possible for your team to win or is there some sort of bravado in the way for you you know considering Shaq's larger life personality though I'm surprised he didn't use the granny shot and almost market it in a sense where yeah yeah man like he's already huge but I just feel like he could have like marketed that shot into being like the Shaq shot and people were just forgot that it was the granny shot because he has that ability to him you know where it's just like Shaq can sell things. Yeah, him and like Man, he made Shazam for God's sakes, and that was terrible, and it still worked. Like we still talk about yeah, it. Him and Magic Johnson have this ability to make anything that they do like funny or like entertaining, and it becomes like part of them, you know, rather than them being becoming part of the, the incident. So that that granny shot could have been the Shaq shot. It could have been the Shaq. Just some food for thought. I just thought it was interesting listening to Re- Revisionist History there, that podcast about Will Chamberlain, and I was like, what if this was Shaq? That's the first thing that crossed my mind, <laughs> is how much better he could have actually been. Yeah, he's a true, a true like, L.A. player. You know? True and through. The media loved him, and he loved the media, and he still loves the media right now. He's part of the media. Well, there was, a, there was actually a great article that came out about how L.A. basically stole Shaq from Orlando, and the parallel that I drew from it right away was how Golden State kind of stole KD from Oklahoma City. Well, the the bright lights, Silicon Valley, these awesome technology. The new arena, all the money, everything. Great team. <laughs> Super, <laughs> superstar talent on the wings. <laughs> Championships, yeah. basically like in the bag. Before we wrap this up, though, did you see the reviews on Yelp and other places for Kevin Durant's restaurant in Oklahoma City? It's closing now, but have you seen some of the reviews? No, I haven't and... told me about it. <laughs> They're horrendous. I can't read them on here because they're just too foul, some of them. <laughs> but if if you have some spare time on your hands, I encourage you, Damar, and any of the listeners out there, just Google it. Google Kevin, Durant, Kevin Durant's Restaurant in Oklahoma City and the Yelp reviews. Basically, fans were determined to make this place close. <laughs> and they succeeded. <laughs> it's bad. It, you know, he left the city, man. They're gonna be. He they're did. gonna be angry. So I'm. Not, I'm not surprised. Maybe he'll open a Durant's in San Francisco. I don't know. Because <laughs> this one in Oklahoma City was good, then it failed. Yeah. Maybe they'll reopen something for uh, Westbrook. Yeah. Then he'll leave the next year, and they'll just spam it on Yelp again. Maybe they'll go two for two, shutting down restaurants. The Depot, maybe. Wow. Steven Adams, he can market yeah, that. No, yeah. Nick Collison. Nick Collison's been there since day one. He's their A1 since day one, you know? Yeah, maybe they can have like a, like a steak shop or something like that. Steak house or something like that for him. Yeah, something plain for him. I can't believe we're going down that road, but <laughs> I just felt like it was it was interesting. It was worth checking out. If you have some spare time again, check out Kevin Durant's restaurant reviews on Yelp. You'll get a good chuckle out of it. On that note, I think we're going to wrap this up on the TOT cast here, the Raptors edition. Again, happy birthday to Murray Carroll. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me on Friday. Uh, a lot of insightful things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter, at Tip of the Tower. If you also want to like our Facebook page, we greatly appreciate that. You can like us on Facebook, at Tip of the Tower. 
you want to follow myself, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Kranitz. You can follow Damar on Twitter at Damar J. Grant. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud as well. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. Those always help, and they help with us in the rankings and the charts, and they help give us good feedback on how we can improve the show. As always, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back here next Wednesday to talk more Raptors. Take care, everyone. Later, Dave.